The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. This episode of Empowered with Revy is supported by My Creative Box. Hi guys, welcome to episode 11 of Empowered with Revy. Today I have the privilege to interview Dr. Siggy Cohen, who is a child development specialist and parenting expert. For more than 35 years, she has worked with thousands of children and families from her role as a teacher, then as a child developmental specialist. Dr. Siggy has now opened her own private practice, lectures and teaches all through the Los Angeles area, and has gone viral countless times via her Instagram for the empowering information and tips she gives to parents who are navigating their day-to-day struggles. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Here's Dr. Siggy. So I am sitting here in the studio speaking with the amazing Dr. Siggy Cohen, who is based in LA. Thank you so much, Siggy, for joining us today. And I, yeah, I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So it's been an interesting uh, month for me as a parent. I've got a five-year-old daughter and an almost three-year-old daughter. And I feel like for the majority of this year, it's been quite a beautiful flow and dynamic of parenting, which I'm very grateful for. And then about a month ago, it just, the ebbs and flows really sunk and not in our favor. It has been a highly stressful, uh, intense, challenging, testing time in our household. And I thought, what divine timing that I'm interviewing you today. (laughs) Because if I hadn't have gone through all that, I don't know if I'd know the right questions, but I have so many questions for you. I have been juggling where to start this conversation with you. So thank you again for coming on. I thought that I'd start with uh, this this question about the misconception of a quote-unquote good kid. Do you think that society has created... Uh, this understanding that a good kid equals a happy kid or a kid that, you know, doesn't step out of line and that's the standard we're trying to meet within society sometimes? Absolutely. So a good kid is a kid that follows our own expectations Mm -hmm. and um, does whatever we think they're supposed to be doing. And therefore, when they're not being good, it's almost as if we are shocked amazed, surprised, not in a good way. Mm -hmm. Um, We are, um, we get angry, we get anxious because it doesn't follow our prediction and our expectation. So a good kid, the, the misconception about a good kid is that a good kid doesn't make mistakes and doesn't have flaws. Yeah. Which is, which is impossible. It's impossible. We make, we're flawed. We have, yeah, so we have, uh, we're setting a, an expectation we don't set upon ourselves um, on our children, which is super unfair. Absolutely. Because notice how often you, you probably hear that from other parents. I hear that all the time. Not just why are you doing this? How many times do I have to tell you, right? As if, sure. again, it has sort of an expectation Um Don't you know better? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't you know already what you're supposed to? That all sets everybody up for failure because it really doesn't allow room for any kind of change, growth, um, and of course, flaws and mistakes, which we all have, including our children. Sure. 
I, I wanted to talk to you about how you've shared the importance of connection over conditioning because I feel like some from from my understanding of parenting and for how I was raised, I'm trying to kind of break free of that conditioning and the, you know, the lecturing, the controlling and trying to rewrite that. So can you flesh out or kind of elaborate on why connection is going to give us more of what we want, better results over the conditioning of a child. Absolutely. So conditioning is all about behaviors. We see the behaviors and we want to change the behavior, stop the behavior, align the behavior again with our expectations and our needs. So it's all about the behavior. The behavior is only one part of who we are. It's almost, it's, it's as if it's the external layer mm-hmm. of what actually goes on on the inside. A connection is who we are as people, who we are as individuals. And when a parent connects to the child behind the behavior, I'm not saying accepting behavior, um, dismissing behavior. I'm saying understanding behavior and understanding that the behavior needs to stop, but something else triggers the behavior and that's the child behind it. That's what we connect to. I see this is what you want, not why are you doing this? I see this is what you want to do. I'm beginning to understand that this is where you come from. This is what you need. Yeah, that's not the way to get there, but I can see why you're doing what you're doing. That's a connection. Yeah, and that's what we're really trying to to have with our children. Do you have some tangible tips? And I know you share such amazing advice through your reels and your Instagram, which has been so helpful for me as a parent. Can you share a couple of your top tips on creating connection with your child? Uh, I know you've said for an example, I've learned, you know, if your child is engaging in a game, you know, what's that game? What what can you tell me about the characters of that game? Those kind of examples? That, of course, is when everything is good and we're just watching our children play or we are playing with them. We can ask yeah. them, tell me about this or why do you like to be this way? Um, or when you pretend to be whatever character, how does that make you feel? So we can definitely... Um, almost like jump into the world, their world, and be in that world with them. But a connection is mainly when actually we need to guide our children rather than judge them. We need to help and support rather than condition. Again, back to that. Yeah, so it's almost like when they are having a meltdown or struggle, that's an opportunity for us to really be there and be present for them as opposed to stand on the outside and outside their world looking in and making judgment or making them feel ashamed of something. Right, absolutely. The judgment and the criticism that comes from us has everything to do with our expectation of what our child should be, Mm -hmm. but it's not leaving any room for mistake-making, for flaws, for even for moods, for variation, for diversity. Sure. So we be, we judge the behavior, we get angry and resentful of the behavior. We need to stop the behavior. That's true. But we have to connect to the child that is and that is behind that behavior. What is triggering this behavior? 99% of the time, it's an emotion, 
It's a personal subjective need. It's a misunderstanding. It's an inability to connect the dots of what is really going on. Children have a lot of misinformation. When we think they know it all, they don't always understand everything that's going on. And can I bring us into a specific scenario to give an example to parents here? So let's say, for example, I'm trying to put a sock on Lola, who's two and a half, and I'm trying to put it on and she's not happy with it. She's saying it's uncomfortable and her world crashes down. So originally as a parent, before I've learned to validate my child's feelings, I feel like my reaction would have been, just get the sock on, just put it on, you know, and raising my voice, getting frustrated. I'm trying to get out the door. We're running late. Uh, you know, so immediately I've invalidated what her, her expression of her feelings. What, as a, as a child development specialist, what does that do to a child when you invalidate their feelings? Well, it depends how much we do it. If we do it every once in a while, I'm not saying that it's ever okay to do it. We we never want to disvalidate anyone because sure. that is actually when a connection is broken. Imagine you do this over and over and over again. So most of the time, children learn to disvalidate themselves. Mm-hmm. They learn to be more maybe critical and judgmental of themselves of, and others rather than understand the complexity of every single person. I'm a a complex human being. I want to teach my child that they are a complex human being as well. They don't follow a a predictability. They don't follow a certain pattern all the time. Mm -hmm. And I want to allow my child to recognize this about themselves. So when I say, why are you doing this? Enough of that. Can't you see that we're late? I'm basically just, yeah, being um, angry, frustrated. I can just say that. It's very hard for me when I see that you can't put the sock on it, that you are having a hard time. I'm actually right then and they're validating how I feel and express it directly. And I'm also validating my child right then and there. Now I can stop and say, okay, something's not right here. Let's regroup. Looks like you're having a hard time. I don't think it's the socks. By the way, children can pick because if I ask her why, she'll come up with a reason because yes. that's what they think we want to hear. Okay. And young children specifically will say anything, none relating to real facts. Imagination and reality get completely mixed. Their own point of view is what guides the world. You know, I... I do this with students often. I say, go ask young children, why does the sun get up in the sky? And every three to five to six-year-old will say, because I wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's lovely. Have your own personal sun. (laughs) Exactly. So it's, that's the world. This explains how they see things. So I don't think it's the sock that's giving, and, and you know, a three and a half year old, your daughter can go, yes, it's the socks. I'm not so sure, but I think that you're having a hard time with the morning, like we're rushing, don't really want to get out of, you know, the house right now. All right, let's try and reassess what's going on. Let's first just calm down. And you see what I'm doing right then and there is connecting to my child. Maybe I'm giving an extra moment 
to this connection. But that connection is going to go a long way because when I feel connected to you, I'm so much more willing to cooperate, to collaborate, to work with, right? Sure. That's just a normal outcome of a connection. So immediately taking that breath, pausing, you know, instead of raising the voice, slowing it down, lowering the tone, diffusing a heated situation and, yeah, an opportunity to connect. Uh, And I like that you say, you know, we can't get it right all the time because there are days where that's just going to happen and adding shame to the situation in parenting is just not going to make things better. So knowing that it's going to happen from time to time but really trying to make the foundation, yeah, that you're validating their feelings. Absolutely. And we can always reflect back, you know, a moment later, we're outside, we're already driving, we're walking down the street, whatever it is, we can look back and go, wow, (laughs) that was a rough moment. That was a rough morning for all of us. You know what? Yeah, sometimes that happens. Kind of like validating and accepting. Sometimes, yeah, (laughs) situations get away from us, from all of us. It's nobody's fault. I I love that because I do find that, you know, as a parent, I have made so many mistakes as we all do, but I think acknowledging and, you know, going back and reflecting with your child, that has been one of the most, uh, I guess, empowering things for me because I know my parents never did that. Uh, Certainly they were very far from doing that. So doing that with my child helps heal myself and helps heal them. And we have this beautiful moment where I've acknowledged that I'm imperfect and they go, oh, you know, mum's mom's learning. And that's what I say, like, I'm learning. This is new for me and I'm doing my best and I stuff up sometimes, but it's, it's an opportunity for us to grow. Absolutely. I so agree with that. I love that. I want all parents to recognize that when they're raising their children, they really are raising themselves as well. So it's work in progress all the time. And it's okay. Yeah, I've definitely learned that. So a bit of background, my community knows that I I basically had non-existent parents uh, for the majority of my life. So I'm a bit of a foster foster kid, I I would say. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had to really start from scratch in what I wanted parenting to look like. And every single day I'm learning and trying to break. It's almost like I see the reaction in my own head first of what I want to do. And it's that moment of reflection. And I definitely think, you know, setting intentions for the day, journaling, meditation, embracing that I'm going to stuff up from time to time has been such a saving grace for me. And, uh, you know, for my partner, uh, my husband, he's the most wonderful father. We're very, we're very blessed to be able to be both present and active in our kids' lives. Uh, you know, they both see us every day. We we both have like a 50-50 relationship as, as opposed to a primary parent. So we feel very lucky in that regard. But even for him, I guess, you know, he had an amazing upbringing but there were definitely – he's born in the early 80s in a country town where men and boys weren't meant to feel. You know, there was very little emotional support for boys. So he's relearning too. How much do you think our parenting comes from our own parenting experience as a child? Is it all of it? It's a, 
I don't think all of it, because look, what you just told us, which is an amazing story, a personal story of resilience, of adaptability, but also of personal intelligence. You see, you took what you didn't have and filled it up on your own. Mm-hmm. You took those voids, you used your intelligence, you used skills that you must have just were born with. And that is sometimes, I think, a testament to just the human condition that a lot of people have incredible stories of how they turn their life around. For the most part, I think that what I'm trying for parents to do is not raise perfect children, but to have a a family dynamic that feels good to everybody, not all the time, but most of the time. I want parents and children to be functional within um, the family, but also when they go out there. So it's not about everything's perfect. We can't make mistakes. It's all going to be just as we're supposed to or want to have it. Yeah. No, actually, I want to leave room for... um, for the unknown, as obviously we've all lived through one of the most incredible unknowns that we could have ever imagined. What did we see? We have coping skills, resilience. We can make something from nothing. That's what I want parents to rely on. I don't want them always being worried their children need to be happy. I want them to think, Actually, when my child is not happy, when my child is angry, upset, um, frustrated, disappointed, feels lost, how are they going to recover? That's my goal as a parent. I want my children to experience whatever life is going to, in a way, tackle them with, which I don't have any control, but have this great toolbox that they can pull from themselves. But there's a voice inside that says, I know what to do. I know who to turn to. I can trust myself. I can trust people around me. It's going to be okay. That's what it is. Not, oh, I'm unhappy. What's going to make me happy? And who's going to make me happy? Yeah, that's very thin layer and not functional enough. So back to that, I think you are an amazing example of how, Anybody can really turn their life around. Good for you. you. And I want parents to kind of take from that and say, okay, it doesn't have to be perfect. It is what it is. Can I still help my child accept their life and make the best out of whatever that life is for themselves? Sure. That's beautiful. I I appreciate that. And, yeah, thank you. Uh, I am... I loved this this post that you did about the why and how I felt very seen, I felt exposed <laughs> because you said that we should try to avoid the question why when it's used in an almost accusational tone and I was like, I do this all the time. I say, Lexi, why does the lounge room look like this? What happened? Like, And it's not a genuine question of supporting why is the sky blue or, you know, why does the cars move fast? It's like, how did you, like you said before, how did you not know that this is not how I want this to look? It's, when I read that, I was like, it just made so much sense that that question of frustration 
doesn't get me what I want and they don't understand what I want from it. So it's just this question, this frustration outlet, but then doesn't get us anywhere. Exactly. It's absolutely. So you're right. It's rhetorical. It's accusational. It's judgmental. Um, it shows our frustration. <laughs> it's not really going to get us anywhere. It is a bit shaming, um, right? It's kind of like, you know, depending on the child, some children are like, well, I don't know. And, you know, or maybe I didn't do it, right? So they <laughs> immediately blame it on someone else, on something else. I mean, the other day yes. I heard, a, I mean, a kid in my office literally blamed him spilling something on the coaster. He said, <laughs> I didn't do it. The coaster. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think the coaster really can do that, but that's fine. So yeah, those kind of questions, why did you do it? Is not going to get us exactly where we want, which is an actual answer. Um, it's not inquisitive. It's not asking to really find out. It's asking to blame and it's asking to dismiss or put someone down. So, I can say, you know, I, I want people to change it to first make an observation. Oh, wow. Look at this mess. Okay. Let me see. I wonder what happened here. <laughs> I'm not sure. Can anybody tell me what happened? I think, and you know, now you are sounding as if you are curious, not accusative. Sure. You can sometimes ask, I see that you did that, or I, I noticed that you do this often, whatever that is. Do you know why you're doing that? Do you have an idea why? Can you think of why? Right when I use it in this kind of phrasing, I actually allow the child to present thought process, to realize that things are not... Answers are not supposed to be readily available because that's just being impulsive and saying the first thing on your mind. If, if I'm asking an emotional question, the child will respond emotionally. But if I say, why do you think? Um, it's almost like I'm letting them know that they need to think about the answer. It slows everybody down. I'm not expecting an immediate answer, and they are not feeling they're expected to give me whatever answer that comes first to them. So sure. we Why can use think? it like that. Mm -hmm. Why do you think? Do you have an idea? Can you think of why you can even sometimes slow the process even more? You know, you don't have to tell me right now. You can think about it. You can tell me later when it comes to you, I bet it will. Because you see, when I'm not put on the spot, I don't mind actually reflecting or having this internal dialogue with myself. When do I have, um, when do I avoid these internal dialogues is when I'm being put on the spot, when I feel that someone's trying or forcing something out of me, yeah. I'm not really going to give it to them. Yeah, yeah. As an adult, you know, if someone's raising their voice at me or accusing me of something that I'm trying to get my bearings right, it's hardly a time that I can think of the answer that they want or, yeah, anything. So it's it's interesting to really dive into that because it's almost like we expect them to know and they and they don't genuinely don't know. They're, they're not trying to do anything 
you know, naughty or wrong. They just are. So one thing that I, since I've become more of a, learnt more about the validation of feelings and then, you know, the nurturing home that I want to create, I then toss and turn because then I find that it can go the other way and then I lack authority. And when I shared a post this week about my five-year-old really pushing back and questioning, you know, every single request that I've asked them, for example, please don't eat a snack before dinner. Why, mum? And, or, well, uh, Lola has, or my sister has, or, you know, that kind of thing. And can you please not run across the road because you need to hold my hand? Well, I saw that kid doing it or I, and just, or just completely ignoring me. So how, like how? <laughs> Help me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I tell you what, Often when we try, when we think we have authority over our children, we're actually missing something there. So notice what you just said to her, that to you seemed as if this is a command, but actually you are sort of asking her to agree with you, to sort of like um, align herself and kind of be good to you rather than you just saying, hey, uh uh-uh, you cannot do this. Hold my hand. Come on hold my hand. You see, that's authority. I'm not dismissive. I'm not rude. I'm actually kind, but I stand behind my own word and my position as a parent. When I say, please hold my hand or please don't run into the street um, because as soon as I said, because I now allow my child to come up with their own reason. That's the biggest problem. This little word because. Because the thing is this, I say don't run into the street because I need to hold your hand. That actually doesn't make sense, right? Don't run into the street because it's dangerous. Then I need to hold your hand so I can keep you safe. Now that's a full idea. But don't run into the street because I need to hold your hand. Even if I said it, your child has their own rationale. They think whatever it is, like I said, the sun comes up in the sky because I wake up. It's like, oh, mommy, you don't know. I know better. And now she's right. Lola, this kid, I mean, they're going to come up with any reason in the book to show you their because. So authority actually doesn't explain itself. You can explain yourself. You know how you said earlier, you can use the word why uh, when you're really teaching something, when you're exploring, right? But now when you're asking your child why they did what they did. So with authority, again, you can explain, okay, we're going to go to the market because we do, we ran out of milk and eggs and we need to do, you know, this errand and that. I can explain things like that. But when I have to set boundaries, that's when I actually don't need to give a reason. That's the only time I keep my authority as is. I'm still kind, I'm respectful, but I don't because, I don't use that. I say, hey, you need to hold my hand. We are going to cross the street. Come on, hold my hand. And maybe my child will do this. You see, now they don't have anything to say, but they may wiggle, try to wiggle their way out. And I will say, I can see it's kind of hard for you, but you can do it. 
Say, so now I'm coaching and cheering. I'm still advocating for what my child wants, but I'm not accommodating. I'm not arguing. I'm not trying to sell them on my idea of why they need to hold my hand because that's beyond them. Yeah. That's authority. So, so elaborating on the because when I'm trying to set a boundary gives them this understanding that they can actually come up with a better reason why to run across the road. So when we're trying to set that boundary and use that authority, it's best just to say the statement and not open it up for reason. It's just how it is right now. It's just how it is. The only other thing you can do is acknowledge how it makes your child feel. Even then you're not changing your authority. It's, not like, I don't hold my hand. I don't like it. I know you don't like it, sweetie, but I still have to hold your hand. See, I did validate how my child feels, but sometimes boundaries cannot be broken. Those are the moments. Safety and maybe other situations that, again, my child doesn't really know and understand the full scope of what is going on. So I don't have to reason and explain everything, not because I'm disrespectful, but because I actually understand that my child is a child and they don't really need to understand everything. They don't. It's okay that we understand more. It's okay that they look up to us. It really is okay. It actually makes them feel safe and secure. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah, I like that because... They should trust us because, you know, we're mum and dad. Because we're trustworthy. Yes, Yes. exactly. (laughs) Uh, How would you you say is one of the best ways to instill confidence in your child? Because that's what we all want, right? It's we all want our kids to feel a sense of confidence in who they are, to trust their gut, to, you know, I guess, be able to embrace all parts of them. Yeah. I think that, one, this is definitely not something that you say one time and it's done. This is a process, yes, of growth. It changes over time because as children grow, they absorb so much more information. They're constantly changing. The way in which you can teach help um, grow and, and mold this um, confidence about them is actually give them a good balance of who they are. I want my child to know what they're good at, but I also want them to understand their weaknesses. They can do something about their weaknesses. It's okay to say, I'm not good at that. Now I can say, would you like to be good at that? What would you like to do about it? Or, you know, um, no, I'm not good at that. So-and-so is better than me. And yeah, it's true. Sometimes somebody is better than you. It doesn't take anything away from you. It just means that we're all different in different ways. It's not, I'm not good at that. You know, that's sort of like that poor me. And now I want to say, oh, of course you are. See, I just deflected or I just sort of like um, kind of pushed something under the rug. I really sure. didn't handle it. Yeah. Yes, so my child feels exactly. No, I want to be real about it. Again, not in any rude way. 
um, oh, don't worry about it, is again patronizing or dismissive. Um, telling my child, you are the best and you're great, is really unrealistic. But showing it sets them, them up for their, a false sense of accomplishment when you're saying you're the best sure. or, you know. Yes. It's kind of like I, I hear sometimes parents saying, you're the king of the world. <laughs> I hear dads say that a lot to their sons. You're the king of the world. And I say, you know what? Here's what you want to say. Because it's actually not true, but I know what you're saying. You can say, okay, you're not really the king of the, you're the king of my world. And that's mm -hmm. just because I'm your dad. That's it. Kids can really understand that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I understand that this is how my dad says they love me but I'm not really the king of the world. It's not too much. It's not not enough. It's just right. It's honest. It's authentic. So it's kind of like that. No, maybe you're not good at that. I agree. So-and-so is better. Would you like to be better? Do you know what makes them better? Um, what do you think you want to do about being better at that? Or maybe you don't care about this. You want to do something else that's better. It's it's much more of an expanded view of who they are. And I am sure. helping them recognize and realize their full potential. That's confidence. Okay, that's beautiful. I, I love that. So today's episode is sponsored by My Creative Box. So if you followed me on Instagram for the past four years, you would know that I have been an avid lover of My Creative Box. My Creative Box are these little activities that get shipped to your door. They have a little booklet in them and a number of activities that include sensory activities, uh, there's little Play-Doh pieces, there's painting activities. And if you've seen my stories, you'll see Lexi or Lola light up as soon as they see me walk through the door with that parcel in my hand because they know it's a moment of connection and fun with mum. My Creative Box basically offers subscription services, but also one-off purchases if you'd like to try that. They have a number of activities and fun things that you can do with your kids, and I absolutely adore this business. So basically, they have a box that can be themed with marine life or jungle animals or Easter or Christmas. There's a booklet in there that gives you step-by-step -step guidance on these really fun, engaging sensory activities. I genuinely love My Creative Box and highly recommend it to my listeners today. My Creative Box's mission is to inspire creativity in children and empower parents to be their child's best teacher. They have a team of professionals that contribute to their products, making sure they are age appropriate and help children build on their skills while having fun. They offer a range of subscriptions as well as the option to purchase as a one-off, which makes gifting easy as a unique, thoughtful and educational gift. All the hard work is done for you as the parent. Activities are planned, prepped, packed and ready to go for families to learn and enjoy the experience. My Creative Box have been so generous to offer us two different codes today. So if you'd like to just shop store-wide, you can get 10% off, excluding prepaid subscriptions, using the code REVIEJANE. That's R-E-V-I-E-J-A-N-E. -E -E. Otherwise, if you are a little bit more serious and want to give this a good go, the second code is for anyone who would like to purchase a subscription, you will receive 30% off your first box when you use the code REVIE30. That's R-E-V-I-E-30. -E Thank you so much to My Creative Box for sponsoring this episode of Empowered with REVIE. I also loved how you've shared before that and I think this falls into the confidence thing is helping or 
encouraging your child to be part of the solution, not just the problem. Can you speak to that? Yes, absolutely. So we tend, I think today's parents are amazing in the sense that they're very present, they're very dedicated, right? But they're overwhelming with the mindset that they're supposed to fix it all for their children because we're there all the time. We see everything. So we have an answer to everything. That makes for very passive and lacking coping skills kind of children, also very dependent, um, kind of helpless. Yeah. Yeah. So a child presents a problem. They have problems all the time. A lot of the times their problems are not real problems. <laughs> They're just emotional problems. Ah, oh, so, you don't let me do this, or I'm bored, or I hate this. Oh, they it's won't not share a real with problem. Me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, they don't share with me. It is some kind of a social problem. But when things just don't work my way, or you're not giving me another scoop of ice cream, and now I'm upset, <laughs> not a real problem. <laughs> But it is a personal problem. This is how my child feels. So I don't want to fix it for them. I'd like them to figure ways to solve that problem. And I know that most of the time, if I say, how would you like to help yourself? They're going to bring it back to me. Well, you then give me more ice cream. No, I understand that this is the way you think I can fix it. I'm asking you how you can fix it. And a lot of times they actually don't know. And I say, because you see, they think it's about ice cream. It's not always about ice cream or a toy. It's about how things make me feel. So how can you make yourself feel better? What can you do to help? I know you're frustrated. I know you're angry right now. I see that. How can you make yourself feel better? And that makes them begin to think, Oh, it's supposed to be me. I'm supposed to make me feel better. Yeah. Why do I feel like my daughter would just say, well, if I'm supposed to make myself feel better, I'll grab the spoon and I'll scoop it out myself. So how You're right. this is a this is a perfect opportunity to get specific here. So Yes. Okay. Lola, for example, who is an ice cream addict, she's got a sweet tooth like her dad. Okay, Lola, <laughs> you, you would like another ice cream scoop, but you've had enough. No, we don't say that. We say, um, how, how, how can you help yourself by not, I don't know, help me, Dr. Yeah, I, <laughs> right. So let's start with what is the bound, what is the boundary? The boundary is Lola. No more ice cream, sweetie. We had one scoop. This is the, yeah, we had one scoop. No, but I want, I know you do. I know. But yeah, we're not getting any more. And I can see that this is making you frustrated, right? Uh-huh. She's like, yeah, you're not giving me. I'm like, no, I know. I see that. How would you like to help yourself? What would you like to do? I don't know. Give me more ice cream. Yeah, remember, no more ice cream. How can you help yourself? What would you like to do to make yourself feel better? Then I'll grab my own ice cream. Yeah, no, sweetie, you can't do that. I can see that's one way of fixing the problem. You're right. But yeah, that is not an option. You see, because not all solutions, I mean, I need to come up sometimes with few solutions to one problem. 
Yeah, like a multiple not all choice. solutions. Absolutely, because not all solutions are actually the right ones. Sometimes they're just again how I want it to be. And of course, children constantly want to arrange the world according to them. So I know she's going to say that. But what else can you do? Because you're frustrated. Is there any way you can fix that? Not feel frustrated. She may say, I don't know, or no, I want to be frustrated. And you're like, you can, that's okay. See, that's a solution that actually I'm willing to accept. My child wanting to stay frustrated. Mm. It's up to them. It's their emotion. It's, you know, it's really, this is autonomy. Mm -hmm. And that's That's okay. okay And I'm like, frustrated. I think yeah, there's it's okay, I think sweetie. that's I think that's in our household that we want to fix. I think that's something that we need to work on as parents is like we you know we I feel like we've turned our lives around and we we're, we're trying to create this happy home but really like you know some we I preach about mental health and I preach that some days I'm not feeling the greatest and that happens in small moments and big moments with kids. So yeah, I, I I get that that you just say okay, well then you can then you can be frustrated if that's how you're feeling like that's where you're at right now and yes okay so and it's okay and I can be kind about it. I just want to say again, and you can tell a lot of your listeners, it's not a happy home you're trying to create. It's a regulated home. It's a balanced home. That's Beautiful. what it is. We don't want to be undertone. We don't want to be overtone. We don't want to be apathetic. We don't want to be dramatic. We do need to have all the emotions and learn how to deal with them, cope, get through them, recover, uh, be aware. Wow, this was tough, but I did it. I don't. I I was feeling so frustrated, mommy, earlier because you didn't give me ice cream, but then it was over. Yeah, that's what it is. It's recovery through many different situations. That's what you want to tell parents. I love that. I love we don't need a happy home. We need a regulated home. That just I'm going to be preaching that from you for a very long time and put that in my pocket. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So say, for example, we're using the ice cream analogy quite a bit, but we could put this towards uh, a lot of parents wrote to me saying brushing their kids' teeth is like an MMA match uh, or, yes. you know, um, saying no to a sweet. Uh, say, uh, for example, Lola is going through big emotions at the moment and we have hit almost like a tantrum city where she has too much and it boils over. Is it best just to sit with them? And and why are we why are we now refraining from sending them to them to the room to sort it out themselves? Can you talk? Can you remind us and and empower us with that? Yes. So at this point, Lola actually is able to express herself in as many words as possible. She's also able to contain her emotions more. So when she does have this big outburst, you can say, whoa, Lola, okay, this is a bit too much. I can tell you very upset, very. But screaming, yelling, like, you know, stomping or going back and forth, slamming a door. Yeah, none of that. No, sweetie, no. You can step sit. Now you can say, you know what? How about you go to your room 
and see how you can help yourself calm yourself down. Sending them to the room as a tool, as a skill, not as a punishment. Go to your room and think about what you did. And no, go to your room if you think it can help you. You know what? Play. Playing is very comforting for children. You actually want to give them that as a resource. Go to your room and play, cry, um, fight with your stuffed animals. That's perfectly okay <laughs> um, because you they work issues like that. So a room should be sort of like a skill of knowing when I need to walk away from a situation to regroup myself. Sure. That's what they're sending them to the room. It doesn't even have to be the room, but a lot of times, yeah. If you think the room is a good place, go ahead, take time, come back when you can talk, um, when you can explain. So with Lola, for instance, because she's, yeah, she's already five, you no, want to be sorry, able Lexi's to. Sorry, Lexi's five, so she oh, Lexi's many five. tantrums. Uh, okay. And then, don't worry, I mix them up all the time and they're my own children. So Lexi's okay. five <laughs> and Lola is just about to turn three. So Lola is okay. the one who's, you know, two and a half, three and is just explosive. Like just, mm, you know that, okay. you know that, yeah. oh my gosh, we're here feeling that's where yeah. we're at. Like it's just like there's no, it's like the crocodile and the, you know, she just, <laughs> I, it's yeah. just so overwhelming. Yeah. Sometimes they stand there and they just scream or they sit on the floor and they bang their, yeah, they, yes. So three-year-olds definitely still have those kind of big emotions, but they're not exactly like the two-year-olds who are having that developmental tantrum. This point, they know they're much more aware that they're creating this sort of like drama around them. So we want to, again, reflect, narrate what is going on, validate. Wow, Lola, you are so upset. If you think that it's a bit over the top, you can give some guidance. You can say, okay, I hear the screaming. Do you hear? Yes, you are screaming very loud. All right, try to calm yourself down. You can, and you can still stay upset, and now you can use words. I'm very upset. Mommy, I don't like this. I'm angry at you. Sometimes even if we give them the words to say to us directly, that really helps. Because the thing is this. What is passive-aggressive behavior? I don't think I can directly say anything to you, so I'm creating all these behaviors that's supposed to hurt you, but it's not really intentional or no one's watching or seeing. No, I want you to directly tell me. So when a child creates this big scene, they are trying to tell us something. So let's help them say directly. So they don't think that they can say, you know, unless they can be rude or I don't like that, mommy. I'm, it's like, wait, Lola, you can tell me that you are angry at me. That's perfectly fine. You can say, mommy, I'm very angry at you right now. And I can say, I know, I understand. It's okay. Thank you for telling me. Giving them that direct line of communication to us allows them to recognize that they don't need to create this big drama to get our attention. We're right there. We are hearing them. We are present, even if it's a little uncomfortable. Sure. I love that. So good. So, so good. Man, parenting is just one big mirror, isn't it? It's just like really letting go of ego, letting go of the inner 
child that wants uh, the inner perfectionist, letting go and very humbling. <laughs> Absolutely. And recognizing that it's intense, that it takes your breath away and not in a good kind of way, that it's exhausting, that you need to recover a lot. You need to talk to yourself a lot. You need the support. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very big on um, seeking professional help as a, um, as, you know, I've got my own mental health conditions. As a child therapist or family therapist, when would you recommend a family seeking help? Because I'm so passionate about kind of breaking the stigma around that and empowering parents to women, men and non-binary people to seek professional help when it's needed. When would you say you would start to consider this as a, as a parent to seek, you know, a child's therapist, a, a family therapist? If you find yourself struggling with the same thing over and over every single day, if you are beginning to feel almost anxious to be with your children because you don't know what's going to happen or with your child, Parents sometimes feel that, that nervousness. Oh my, what's going to happen this afternoon? I'm beginning, my child's going to have a tantrum. They're not going to want this. They're not. You start walking on eggshells in your own home, around your own children. Know that probably you need some help and support in recognizing what is making you feel this way. You should not fear your children. You shouldn't be anxious and stressed out all the time. That's just not healthy on a okay for anybody under any circumstance. So when you begin to realize that it's affecting you, you're not sleeping, you're waking up angry, you are constantly running into the same problem. Of course, when you notice that your children begin to, or their behaviors spill over to school, to play dates, right? You see in other situations that some of these behaviors are not okay. You are handling it your own way but there is no change, that's when you want to say, okay, I think somebody needs to come in and help us manage the needs, the personalities, the connection that may be sort of like um, broken, fragmented, um, yeah, and, I feel like and help us manage it. Sure. I feel like so many people almost wait for it to be, really broken or really disconnected, really damaged, really hurt before they seek this help when really, you know, seeking someone who's an expert, who's a doctor in this field, it's it's almost just like getting those those tools, getting those, you know, the scripts or the, yeah, again, the tools to really support your family, your partner, your children, yourself. So, yeah. No, I, I really appreciate you sharing that and the work that you do. I have spoken a lot about mum guilt as I have my own, I guess, worthiness issues from my childhood. So I have really come a long way in terms of looking after myself. When a mother comes to you and says, I just, and you can see that they don't prioritise their own self, what do you usually say to her? Because I think we need to hear it from a doctor that... Mom yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, so that mom guilt can so eat us alive. 
if you feel like it's there a lot, you're constantly feeling guilty. You want to know that that guilt is overactive. It's okay to have a little bit of guilt if it makes you think or revisit situation to make them better. But if you are almost like buried under that guilt, yeah, this is just working you rather than you able to regulate and manage it. So we can't, you know, and it most likely has nothing to do with you being a parent. Most likely you're bringing that from somewhere else. So that guilt is very, is one of our most primal emotions. It comes from a really very early childhood, and it has so much to do with complex of issues. One, who we are and how we're wired and how we interpreted what was told us, what was said to us and how. And of course, guilt is just something that um, parents like to instill in children because the thought, the mindset was that if they feel guilty enough, they change their actions, they change their behaviors. So guilt is just there coming to you from a whole other place. So know that you're not constantly guilty right here, right now. It just doesn't make sense. So you're bringing it from somewhere else. So you want to do something about it. You certainly don't want to raise your children out of guilt, out of your own guilt and instill more guilt in them. Like we're constantly just feeling guilty, don't even know why. I'm supposed to feel guilty for some things, but not all the time and not for everything. Sure. Okay. So... We have spoken for some time and I think it will, we'll have to wrap things up, but I so appreciate your words of wisdom and the work that you do. Uh, you can find Dr. Siggy on Instagram, which I highly recommend you uh, go and follow her account as she has some incredible content and the reels. They're just wonderful. You've done such a great job on them, Siggy. Uh, so Dr. Siggy is at at dr.com. S-I-G-G-I-E. That's at Dr. Siggy on Instagram. And you have recently released an incredible online course called the Everything Toddler Course by Dr. Siggy. Uh, it takes the guesswork out of navigating those difficult times with your toddler, covering tantrums, hitting, nighttime wake-ups, uh, picky eating, throwing food, sharing and potty training and so much more. In each segment, Dr. Siggy provides informative to the point videos lasting around two to six minutes, keeping in mind you are a busy parent. And at the end of each segment, there are downloadable cheat sheets with top takeaways and scripts you can download, print or save to your phone. If this sounds like something you'd be interested, I'm very, very pleased and uh uh, grateful that Dr. Siggy has uh, given our empowered family a 15% discount on this course, which you can find in the link in our show notes. Thank you so much for coming on, Siggy. I really, I will just continue just loving your work and yeah, so grateful for you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And it was great meeting you as well. Thank you guys so much for listening to my episode with Dr. Siggy. I hope you learned a lot and I hope you have some tangible tips to take away from that episode. I'm going to leave you with the affirmation of the week, which is parenting focus. I would like you to take a deep inhalation in and repeat after me. I am a student of parenting and I am continuously learning.
Thanks so much for listening and I will be back next week. Love you guys. Bye.